0: Take your Bibles and turn to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 29, as we look at God's Word together today, Genesis chapter 29. Over the last few weeks, we have discussed a lot about the patriarchs. We've talked about the family of Abraham and their struggles and their victories. In particular, we have looked in the last week or so at this man we call Jacob. And if you remember last week, and I'm sure all of you remember the messages I bring. If you remember last week, we talked about Jacob coming in the very presence of God. Jacob, the deceiver, the trickster who had come into the awesome presence of God and had really committed himself to God at a place that he named Bethel. Bethel was a place that he could go back to, a place of of spiritual encounter and experience and I told you then as I say again today that all of us need that place called Bethel now it was a wonderful moment it was a wonderful event in Jacob's life but it didn't mean that all the consequences of his sin had been removed you know, this is one of the most difficult subjects. It's one of the most difficult truths that I try to express, whether in my preaching or in my personal relationships with individuals. I mean, so many times, perhaps unintentionally, we tell people that if you come to know Christ and if you come to accept Him as your Savior, then everything is fine. There, there are no other issues. There are not, there's nothing else that you will struggle with in life. And then... As soon as we say that and someone comes and accepts the Lord, they go back out into the world and some of the consequences of their sin, well, some of those consequences are still there. And they'll come back and they'll say, but we we thought, Brother Reggie, you said that if we did this, that everything was good. We thought that if you and I got together and prayed, then all of a sudden, all of those consequences are gone now listen to me this day when we come and accept the lord and when we come and we confess our sins yes thanks be to god he is willing to accept us and receive us and bring forgiveness in our lives aren't you proud for that that god is receiving us and that god will bless us and yes god will forgive us when we come with a true heart of repentance But it does not mean that all of the consequences of our actions have been removed. It doesn't mean that we still won't deal with some of the bad choices. It still doesn't mean that we won't deal with some of the actions that have taken place in our lives. Ask Jacob. And notice how in Genesis 29, even though he has come to this place before God, and even though he has encountered God in Genesis 29, he still recognizes the consequences of his actions and how it is used redemptively to bring discipline into his life. So let's look at this story together. as a story of love, providence, and discipline. We see in Genesis 29. It says in verse 1, So Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. And he looked and saw a well in the field. Behold, there were three flocks of sheep lying by it. For out of that well they watered the flocks. A large stone was on the well's mouth. Now all the flocks would be gathered there, and they would roll the stone from the well's mouth, water the sheep, and put the stone back in its place on the well's mouth. And Jacob said to them, my brethren, where are you from? And they said, We're from Haran. Then he said to them, Do you know Laban, the son of Naor? And they said, We know him. So he said to them, Is he well? And they said, He is well. And look, his daughter Rachel is coming with a the sheep. Then he said, Look, it is still high day. It is not time for the cattle to be gathered together. What are the sheep and go and feed them. But they said, We cannot until all the flocks are gathered together and they have rolled the stone from the well's mouth. Then we water the sheep. Now while he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. And it came to pass when Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, that Jacob went near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Then Jacob kissed Rachel, lifted up his voice and wept. Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's relative and that he was Rebekah's son. So he ran or she ran and told her father. Then it came to pass when Laban heard the report about Jacob, his sister's son, that he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. So he told Laban all these things. And Laban said to him, surely you are my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him for a month. So here's Jacob. He's fleeing the consequences of his actions. He's fleeing a brother that hates him. He's fleeing a brother that has vowed to kill him. He has left his father and he has left his mother. He is on this designed intentional trip to his family's land in order to find a wife that God would grant. It says that as Jacob walks along and as he comes into this area, he sees this well. And there are obviously these three flocks of sheep that are there. These, he, he comes and he sees these shepherds. And he notices that they're waiting for the water. So while he's there, he asks basically, where are you from? Well, we're from Haran. That may not make a difference in your life. But it made a difference in Jacob's life. Because he knew that he was on his way to that land, the land of his family the land where he would find a wife. So he begins to ask the natural question. He begins to ask the question as, hey, have have you heard of this man named Laban? Don't you love those individuals that they know everybody and they know everything in certain areas? And they always can ask you about it. My mom's one of those kind of individuals. My dad calls her the walking Encyclopedia of North Mississippi. You'll talk to her and you begin a conversation. You'll tell her that you're from Timbuktu and and so-and-so. And she'll say, do you know? It's amazing how she gets around. And here he says, do you know a man named Laban? Now, obviously, for him, this is a personal question. Because he wants to know if his uncle is doing well. Remember, Laban is his mother's brother, Rebecca's brother. And he is going to that family. He's trying to find refuge there. So he says, Do you know this guy named Laban? Yes, we know Laban. Well, is Laban doing well? Laban's doing fine. He's doing wonderful. His health is good. Everything's going well in his life. He's he's good. As a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, it just so happens that his daughter, Rachel, is coming now with her sheep to water them. I love the way Jacob does this. He does it in a subtle way, but he asks those shepherds to leave. Now think. He said, oh, this is not really the right time for you to be watering. and all. Why don't you just kind of go ahead and step away so that I can stay here? And friends, I think for a moment he'd like to be alone with this girl named Rachel. But like some of your friends back in the good old days, those shepherds couldn't take a hint. They said, we can't because we haven't even watered our flocks. And, you know, here we are and there's this large stone that's there. And we've been waiting on everybody else to come because we need everybody's help to get this stone off of the well They had placed the stone there to prevent any type of unwelcome visitors, whether it be uh, migrants that would pass through or perhaps animals. They wanted to make sure that they preserved the integrity of the water. So the stone was there, and and, uh, all of these shepherds had just been waiting. They'd been waiting on people to get there, a good army, so that they could move the stone. Well, as we're told in the narrative, this young lady, Rachel, Well, she comes upon the scene. And it says that as she comes upon the scene that he recognizes his relationship with her and as we'll see, he also recognizes her beauty and he tries to impress her. Now get this. Rachel, coming at this exact time when Jacob was there. Rachel, Rachel who is Laban's daughter, This would mean that she would be his cousin. I'm not going to use any kind of jokes or anything about certain states, about how this is the preferred kind of relationship, especially against my home state of Mississippi. I would never say such. But in that culture and in that day, this was not only acceptable, but it was appropriate. So you see how God's putting this together? I say to you, this is a love story. In some ways, as we read through this, it'll look like a teenage love story. But it's also a story of providence. What is providence? It means that God is above all and God has a way of working some things out in our lives and taking events and people and somehow moving them together for our purpose and for his glory. You see how God is working all this together? Just as he had provided for Isaac when when Abraham had sent the servant to get Isaac a wife. Now God's working this together. It just so happened to be the right time, the right place, the right person. And Jacob, well, he seeks to impress that young lady. What does he do? Well, it tells us that this Jacob actually takes that stone and he moves it can you imagine the shepherds had been there waiting all that time they had been waiting on all these other people to get there to move the stone but jacob he says this is my chance to impress rachel and he moves the stone and some of us guys we do some of the most foolish and sometimes awesome things to impress a girl do we not Some of you remember that. Come on, guys. Some of you remember that. I mean, I remember when Leslie walked into the gym that day. And I was sitting there and I was playing basketball and I went down that court and I just went up and I dunked it right in front of her. That was the thing that sealed it. And if you believe that, I have some land in Dubak, beachfront property that I'd like to sell you in Dubak. I don't know exactly what it was that impressed her. Perhaps it was when I gave the water bottles to the team or something like that. <laughs> the grace that I demonstrated through that. But we do some dumb things sometimes as guys to impress and here's Jacob. I mean, literally, it, it reads like a teenage love story. He goes and he tries to impress her. He moves this stone that all of these other shepherds, they're sitting there waiting on people to come. And Jacob, <clears throat> I got this. Don't worry about it. And he moves the stone. You see, he he's in love. You might even say this is love at first sight. And it's not only... It's not only love, the the emotion that he has for her, but again, it is as though God has revealed his will because of the relationship. It is no accident that the writer of Genesis records time and time again the relationship that Rachel has with Jacob, the familial relationship. Notice in verse 10, as I was reading through that, you may have kind of uh zoned out for a moment because it is so repetitive it said now and it came to pass when jacob saw rachel and the daughter that she was the daughter of laban his mother's brother the sheep of laban his mother's brother and jacob went near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of laban his mother's brother how many times do we have to know that laban is his mother's brother The repetition is there in that verse to remind you that this is God in his providence working in Jacob's life. So everything is good so far, right? Everything is fine. He had met God at Bethel. He had committed himself, and God had gone with him just as he said he would go. And God was demonstrating his will, not just just in providing him a wife, But in providing him a purpose and plan, Jacob understood that God was in this, that God was in this. Verse 15, then Laban said to Jacob, because you are my relative, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me what should your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were delicate, but Rachel was beautiful of form and appearance. Now Jacob loved Rachel, so he said, I will serve you seven years for Rachel, your younger daughter. So here's Jacob. He recognizes the beauty of Rachel. She must have been breathtaking. Must have been breathtaking, her beauty. And he says, what I will do is serve seven years So that I can marry Rachel. What a commitment. And let me say this. There is obviously some growth in Jacob's spiritual life. Because beforehand we see Jacob as the trickster, the deceiver. He is the one that wants to instantly gain favor and approval. So there has been some growth already in Jacob's life. That he is willing to work seven years to wait For this woman named Rachel. And everything seems to be working out for him. God is providing. And there is Rachel. Who will be his wife. Laban said. It is better that I give her to you. Than I should give her to another man. Stay with me. Again. Noting the appropriateness of this relationship. Then Jacob said to Laban, or verse 20, what, how could I miss this verse? So Jacob served seven years for Rachel and they seemed only a few days to him because of the love he had for her. Can everybody collectively say, (laughs) ah. Up there in the gathering, I hope you do that better than the guys down here did in the sanctuary. It is a beautiful verse. Sometimes it's been used at weddings. I've used it at weddings as well to speak about love. But it's one of those ah moments of Scripture. I mean, it says that he served seven years, but it seems like it just went by so quickly because he was so madly in love and he so was looking forward to being married to Rachel. That companionship that he would have. Well... Verse 21, Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife, for my days are fulfilled, that I may go into her. And Laban gathered together all the men of the place and made a feast. Wonderful time to celebrate. A wedding can be so wonderful to think about the excitement of a new relationship, the new family unit that is being created. It's a wonderful time. And in the day of Jacob... And Laban, they would have seven days to celebrate the marriage itself. Seven days of of festivities and festival where they would, they would celebrate what God was doing. Verse 23, now it came to pass in the evening that he took Leah his daughter and brought her to Jacob and he went in. Wait just a minute. Now it came to pass in the evening that he took Leah his daughter Is there something wrong with that verse? I mean, when you begin reading it, you begin thinking you made a mistake. This is Laban. It says, in the evening, he took his daughter Leah. But Jacob is supposed to be marrying Rachel. Okay, well, let's continue on with the story and see what says verse 23, and he went in to her and Laban gave his maid Zilpah to his daughter Leah as maid. So it came to pass in the morning that behold, it was Leah. What in the world? What has happened? I mean, seven years Jacob has served. He served Laban. And Laban had said that he could marry his younger daughter Rachel, but now it was Leah that he had married. You got to, you got to love the way the scripture places this here as well. I mean, verse twenty-five said, "Came to pass in the morning," and in the in the Hebrew, just as in the English translation, it is literally, "Behold, Leah." the surprise, the angst. Perhaps, perhaps the ache of the loving heart. It was Leah. Now, why is this such a big deal? One, he loved Rachel. I mean, really, he loved Rachel. And now he had married... Her sister, Leah. Well, understand the difference between Rachel and Leah as well. You can almost look at their names and what their names mean in the Hebrew and contrast them. Rachel means you, like a little lamb, like a little female lamb. Well, that's a beautiful picture, isn't it? Like a little lamb. Rachel. Leah, her name means wild cow. I'm just telling you, you want the Hebrew oftentimes around this place. I'm just telling you that's what it means. And it's not just the contrast in the names. In verse seventeen it says, Leah's eyes were delicate, but Rachel was beautiful of form and appearance. In other words, Rachel, she was not, uh, or Leah, Leah was not the most beautiful woman. Rachel was. See the contrast? It says literally that she was weak-eyed, tender-eyed. And I'm going to tell you, I did the most study on that word this week just because I knew I'd be standing before you this morning and having to defend myself. But literally it means that, that, that her appearance, well, it was not lovely, okay? She was delicate of eyes. Literally what that means. Don't go out and use that kind of stuff either by other people. I'm not saying it's a good thing. I'm just telling you what the scripture says. My high school Bible teacher, and I'll leave this, but my high school Bible teacher in teaching us this, he, uh, he kind of put it in perspective, As he said, Leah and her appearance, well, her appearance would be one that would make a train take a dirt road. If that could somehow communicate. I'm just giving you what my high school Bible teacher said. Didn't say I agreed or anything else. I'm just pointing out that in the narrative of the scripture, there is a major difference here. There's a major difference. And again, he loved Rachel. And he wakes up. I mean, this is quite possible because, again, during the wedding ceremony, there would have been the veil. he could not have seen. And the next morning, he wakes up, and it's Leah. When I read this scripture, I must remember the words of my mother, who always said, what goes around comes around. Now, I don't mean that in a vindictive way. And I hope this morning as we work through the last few verses of the Scripture, I hope that you do not see it as some vindictive God getting even with Jacob. That's not what I'm trying to portray to you. Rather, what I want you to see is there are some natural consequences of his sin, of Jacob's sin. And God uses these to focus Jacob. He does it basically, well, he does it basically through the law of the harvest. You've heard of the law of the harvest? The law of the harvest says something like this. You reap what you sow, you reap more than you sow, and you reap after you sow. The law of the harvest. In the New Testament, Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, God was using paul to speak and he said be not deceived be not deceived for god is not mocked for whatsoever a man sows that shall he also reap apostle paul said don't think that people are just outside of the consequences of their actions don't think that people are removed from the things that they have done sometimes we Sometimes we think that. Sometimes we think there are no consequences to our actions. And all we got to do is come back. And God, we're sorry for that and all. And, And God does bring forgiveness when there's true repentance. But still know there are consequences of our sin. They're still there. Now, I will tell you, it's a whole lot better to deal with them when you got God on your side. And you've experienced forgiveness. And you've experienced the life of Christ. It's a whole lot better to be able to focus and deal with those consequences that come in your life. But remember, God's not removed you from every consequence of every action, every choice you've made. The law of the harvest says that we reap what we sow, we reap after we sow it and we receive or we reap so much more than we sow. What did Jacob been known for? Well, his name reflected it. Remember his name meant. Literally, heal. It meant that he was a deceiver. He was a trickster. Remember Esau? When Jacob had deceived his father, Esau said something to the effect, Well, he's living up to his name. He's the deceiver. And Jacob had planted deceit. And Jacob had planted, well, he had planted this scheme, this plan, to somehow take advantage of his own father. And notice how now it comes back. That same deception that he had employed in his life, now that deception had been employed against him by his uncle Laban. His uncle Laban, who was a master schemer. You might take note that Rebecca and Laban, that somehow deception must run through this whole family. It must mark the whole of the family. He was going to reap what he would sow. Well, we live in somewhat still an agrarian, agricultural kind of area. Things are changing, but many of you know the basic premise that you reap what you sow. You go out back, you plant maybe a row of, Tomatoes, what would you experience or what would you expect to reap? Tomatoes. You go out back and you'd plant a row of corn. What would you expect? Corn. So what we've seen in Jacob's life up to this point has been deception. So what did he reap? Deception. And notice how it parallels. Notice how it parallels in so many different ways. What did Jacob do? He lied to a relative, his dad. And now he has been lied to by a relative. What did Jacob do? Well, he lied by dressing up and pretending to be his brother. And now he has been lied to. As this individual, this woman named Leah dresses up, To look like her sister. Well Jacob had lied with the assistance of his mom. Remember Rebecca had come to him and said Jacob I want you to do this. Now he has been lied to by Leah who has had the assistance of her dad Laban. Do you see the parallels? Jacob lied to his dad when his dad could not see. And now he's been lied to when literally he could not see the face of his bride. He, he lied even in a kiss. Remember that kiss of betrayal as he kissed his dad? Don't miss how Laban embraces his nephew with a kiss. I say to you that we reap what we sow. It comes back in our lives. Isn't it amazing how the same issues that we have experienced and that we've seen, how it can come back in our lives and express it our, itself. You reap what you sow. You reap after you sow. Well, says that morning, there's Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, what, what is this you have done to me? Was it not for Rachel that I served you? Why then have you deceived me? Perhaps everybody else had thought Jacob and his plan had worked well. I mean, it seemed like it <clears throat> when you look at Jacob. I mean, what did he do? Well, he deceived his father... And he got the blessing. Well, it worked. What was the plan to get the blessing? So he deceived and he got the blessing. And then he comes to Haran and he's supposed to he's supposed to get a wife and he meets Rachel, and the most beautiful woman you could ever imagine. And 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 she's not only beautiful, but she's appropriate in kinship and relationship to be married to Jacob. Everything seems to be working out in his life. And it's like everything's going well. The plan worked. I should have lied earlier, he may have thought to himself. Because it's all working out now. And see, there are times in our lives where we do certain things and we think, oh, look, it's all working out for us now. And we see other people who deceive and who go about their business and... And it seems to all be working out for them. I mean, they've got the relationships and they've got the business and they've got all the things that you could imagine and all the things that the world could offer. But let me just say this to you. At some point, you will reap what you sow. And most all the time, it's after you sow. Many times it's after you think that that moment has passed. I mean, again, the law of the harvest. You plant something, it comes up, you reap after it has been sown. That is, unless you live in Ruston and you have the deer problem, we do. By the way, I can take care of that for you if you'll just see me after the service or so. You reap after you sow. Jacob reaped after... He had sown that deception. And the third part of that law of the harvest is this. You reap more than you sow. I mean, that's the reason we plant. We plant the seeds because we know we're going to get more. That's the faith that we have. That's the hope that we have is we're going to get more. Most of the time we think of that in positive ways, but it also can be expressed in negative ways negative consequences look at the story as it continues verse 26 and laban said it must not be done so in our country to give the younger before the firstborn i didn't mention this but note the interplay between firstborn and the secondborn which we had also seen in the narrative of esau and jacob very similar in the story Verse 27, Laban said, Fulfill her week, and we will give you this one also for the service which you will serve with me still another seven years. So he says, You go ahead and fulfill the seven days of festivities and marriage, and at the end of those seven days, well, I'll give you Rachel to be married, upon which you will serve me seven more years. I love the way Warren Wiersbe expresses this. He says that in Semitic cultures, in the Semitic peoples, the first, seven, the first seven days of their marriage, basically the couple, the husband and the wife, they're treated, well, as a king and queen. But when Jacob woke up that morning, he must have felt like a court jester because of the foolishness, because of the deception that had occurred and now he is reaping so much more because now he's going to marry this second woman and by the way for all of our cultural warriors out there and those who would come and say see even in the old testament even all this time god didn't necessarily say it was one man one woman let me let me say this to you god never embraced these relationships he might have allowed certain things to happen, but he never approved of these things. You can see that as you continue to read that disaster, well, disaster plagues the house of Jacob. And here it says that Jacob did so and fulfilled her week. So he gave him his daughter, Rachel, his wife also, and Laban gave his maid, Billah to his daughter, Rachel, as a maid. Then Jacob also went into to Rachel and he also loved Rachel more than Leah. And he served with Laban still another seven years. Notice how much more he reaps. Not just the seven years that he's going to serve, a total of fourteen of his life. But notice now he's entered into this relationship in this family that will see constant division. Constant division. Verse 30 says he loves Rachel more than Leah. Mm. What a heartache and pain that is brought within that family. Don't have time this morning to read to you the rest of the narrative, but you ought to go home and read it. Even as you see the children, as they are born, their names reflect the heartache and the pain of the family, even their names. Well, chapter 30, verse 8, it'll say, Then Rachel said, With great wrestlings I have wrestled with my sister, and indeed I have prevailed. The marriage relationship becomes a competition, and there's enmity between sisters. There's enmity between husband and wife. Let me just say to you, for years and years, Jacob and his family will experience the difficulty. They will experience the consequences of his deception. For what goes around, in some sense, comes around. Now listen, my friends, I say to you again that our God is not a vindictive God. He's not a God that's sitting up there thinking to himself, well, let me just see how I can get them back. That is not the picture of God we see in the scripture. Our picture of God, yes, is a loving God, but it is also a holy God. And what he wants to do within us is not just produce our happiness. Did you hear me? You've heard me say that before. I want you to hear it clearly. God is not just concerned about your happiness. God is much more concerned about your holiness. Now, happiness and holiness, as it's rightly understood, can go hand in hand. But what I'm saying to you that God wants to grow you, and He'll allow you to experience some of those difficult consequences. And yes, there will be some natural reaping that will come in our lives. But He wants to take those things, and He wants to grow us into His image. And Jacob, well friends, he will grow, and sometimes it'll be through adversity. And the consequences. He will grow. But the promise of God is always there upon his life. And he knows and he'll understand and he'll experience it. The presence of God will continue over and over. So this morning, let me say this one, be careful of what you sow, be careful of what you sow this morning understand that our actions and our attitudes and our well our lives they have consequences so be careful what you sow later in galatians he talks about sowing to the spirit and not to the flesh I say to you today sow to the spirit because the positive side is you reap of the spiritual benefits in the kingdom of God. So to the spirit. Number two, I would say this to you. Some of us, we're, we may be in the midst of experiencing the natural consequences of our actions and choices. My friends, it's not the time to walk out on God. It's actually the time to draw closer to him. Yes, the consequences may come. They may. But what those consequences should do in our lives is bring healthy discipline that will drive us back to God and help us as we serve Him. Today, today, may we run back to Him. Today, may we commit ourselves to sowing that which is good and beneficial and eternal today may we commit our lives to him as we serve him let's pray father thank you for this day we praise you for your work among us and god this day as we have studied i pray that we've examined our lives and this day in this place god we would well we would check up we would examine our lives as to what we are sowing in our community and in our family and even in our church. God, help us today to commit to sowing things that are beneficial and good and eternal. God, for some of us in this place that are going through consequences of our actions, Father, I pray that we would not give up on you. But God, we would draw closer this day. And that we would see it as the healthy discipline of a loving Father. Father, speak to us now. Guide us in this moment of reflection and invitation. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we have this hymn of invitation? Would you come as God calls you this day?